Appreciate all that beautiful singing tonight. What a joy it is to lift our voices up in song and praise to our Heavenly Father and His beloved Son. It's great to be with you tonight, and I am grateful for the opportunity to stand before you and deliver another message from God's Word, and I hope that it'll be one that will be a blessing to you and uh, one that is uplifting and encouraging. To say that our lives are filled with things that are both acceptable and unacceptable would be a gross uh, understatement. Uh, Everything that we purchase is based upon our hope that it will function in an acceptable way. And if it does not, we take it back (laughs) and we want our money back because this thing is unacceptable. We can uh, look at that kind of uh, uh, situation, circumstance uh, throughout our lives. Um, We think about the behavior of our children. When they behave in an acceptable way, what do we do? We praise them. Oh, you're a good, good boy, good girl. And when they behave in an unacceptable way, well, the outcome's not nearly so pleasant. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, in every aspect of our lives, we, 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 we examine it based upon acceptability or unacceptability. Is it acceptable? Is it unacceptable? And we can look at our, every aspect of our lives uh, from uh, our performance at work. Uh, you know, if you perform acceptably at work, you get a paycheck at the end of the week. Or if you perform unacceptably, you might not be there at the end of the week. Uh, if you uh, go to school and uh, you take classes at school and you perform acceptably in your schoolwork, you end up with a good grade on your report card or maybe even a diploma. Uh, If you do not behave acceptably, out you go. So we understand this concept of things being acceptable and unacceptable in the world that that we live in. But what I want to do tonight is look at some things uh, and the same concept from a spiritual viewpoint. Uh, I want to show you that there are things that are acceptable uh, in the eyes of God and that there are things that are unacceptable in the eyes of God. And, of course, the challenge for us is, are we behaving acceptably uh, as far as God is concerned? And so we want to start with this idea. Let me get this my little clicker out and turn it on and get it ready. I get excited about preaching and I forget these things. Uh, But we're going to start with the concept of... uh, an acceptable doctrine. There is a doctrine that is acceptable in the sight of God. Now, the religious world wants to say to us uh, and to the rest of the world, you believe what you want to believe, and I believe what I want to believe, and, and we'll all just get to heaven. We'll just take different routes to get there. Uh, and uh, that uh, sounds real good. It sounds real pleasant and appealing uh, on the surface, but it completely contradicts what the Bible says and what the Scriptures teach. And so... In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul gives a warning about such things. He says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom, ye have not, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted you might well bear with him and so Paul says there is a gospel it is a gospel that the Corinthians have accepted and if it is something that is being taught that is foreign to what the 
the, the gospel is that the Corinthians accepted, then it's to be rejected. There is a gospel that is pleasing in the sight of God, and then there's multitudes of gospels that are not. There's a doctrine that is pleasing in the sight of God, and then there are multitudes of uh, doctrines that are not acceptable to him. In Galatians chapter 1 and verses 6 through 9, he gives another warning. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. And so it may wear the name gospel, it may uh, sound pretty, it may be similar, but it's not another gospel because there's only one gospel and it's the only acceptable gospel, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have preached, we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. And so we need to understand that there is acceptable doctrine. There's doctrine that we should accept. There is doctrine that is acceptable in the sight of God. And there's unacceptable gospel, uh, doctrine, gospels. And uh, so what we have to do then is make sure that we are prepared to determine the difference between acceptable and unacceptable doctrine, between an acceptable gospel and an unacceptable gospel. And that's why Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I know that study is the old King James word, uh, but it means to give diligence. It means to put every ounce of your ability into the study of God's word so that you can determine what is acceptable in the sight of God and what's unacceptable. There is an acceptable way to understand the scriptures and there is a multitude of unacceptable ways. We must search out that one acceptable way. But not only uh, is there an acceptable doctrine, there is also an acceptable prayer. The misconception that God is just sitting up there in heaven waiting to grant our every wish and all we have to do is ask is an unacceptable, unacceptable understanding of prayer. God is not a genie in which you rub the side of uh, the, the, the lamp and he pops out and says, okay, I'll give you whatever you want. Three wishes. Wish number one, wish number two. I want three more wishes. Wish number three, right? And so in the genie concept of things, you just keep getting and getting and getting and getting and getting. And that's not what the Bible teaches about prayer. The idea that God wants, to, wants us to, um, uh, to heave everything that our heart, to have, that should say have, to have everything our hearts desire is completely foreign to the scriptures. Think about your children or some other loved one that you might be close to, and uh, ask yourself this question. And I'll, I'll, I'll say children, since I, I had two and now have ten grandchildren. Is everything they want really something that's good for them? Absolutely not. Uh, if it were, uh, if we were to grant our children everything they wish for, then it'd be cake and ice cream every morning for breakfast. Well, I mean, you know, it's got eggs, it's got milk, it's healthy for you, right? Well, maybe not when you add all that sugar and other stuff that's in there involved in it. And so you don't want to, uh, to think that just because you want it is something that you really need to have. That's a misconception about what 
true prayer uh, is all about. And the same is true in our relationship with God. Sometimes we want things. We want the things of this earth. We want the things of this world. Uh, we want cars and we want houses and we want fortunes and we want and we want and we want and we want. And God's not in the granting of the want business. That's not his job. That's not what he does. And so we need to understand that there is an acceptable prayer. And the Bible gives us an example of how we are supposed to pray. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 1, he said, uh, Paul says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and givings of th- giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God our Savior. So we want our prayers to be acceptable. I want my prayer to get past the ceiling. I want it to be offered in such a way that is acceptable in the sight of God. Now let me ask you this. In that passage of Scripture, where is the new car? Where is the new house? Where is the big bank account? It's not there. Prayer is not about what I can get. It's about what I need. Now, hopefully, we want these things, right? We want our leaders, our kings, those in authority. We want those people to be blessed. And so we pray for them that they're blessed. Now, the side benefit of them being blessed, of course, is us being blessed as well. But the motivation is not so that we can be blessed. The motivation is so that they can be blessed. If it's going to be acceptable in God, uh, in the sight of God, then our prayer must not be self-centered. Now, there are times when we pray self-centered prayers. If you're ailing, if you're hurting, uh, if you're in spiritual need, if you're in physical need. But I think sometimes, since we are so blessed in our great nation, we sometimes get confused between what we need and what we want. Now, my mother was a, a child of the Depression. And uh, I remember mom saving aluminum foil. Some of y'all may even still do that. Uh, she, would, uh, she would cook something, and then she would take that aluminum foil and wipe it off and flatten it out and put it in a drawer. And then she would use it again, and then she would use it again until it was just unusable before she would throw it away. My mom kept bacon grease. There was this big, nasty bowl of bacon grease on her oven, and it just was disgusting to look at because that's just the way things are. But she understood what it meant to be without things that we generally think are necessities in life. Uh, but a lot of the things that we classify as necessities are not real, are not real necessities. God's promised us that he will provide for us our necessities. And when you read uh, the Sermon on the Mount uh, and you you listen to Jesus talk about the birds of the air and the flowers of the field and God watches over them and protects them and blesses them. And then he says, guess what? He's going to do that for you. Well, what did he do for them? Food, clothing, and shelter. That is, those are the needs 
Everything else is icing on the cake. Nothing wrong with icing on the cake. I like driving my car. I like having my tools out in the, in the garage that I can do work when I need to do work. That's a blessing, but that's icing. It's not the need uh, that is, uh, you know, I, if I had to make a living as a carpenter, I would starve to death. Uh, but uh, the, the point is that it's okay to have stuff, but the stuff is not what we need. We need our relationship with God. And so our prayer life, in order for it to be acceptable, uh, has to be centered on the needs of others. And I think the problem is that this is a misunderstanding of John 14, verses 13 and 14. Now notice, John 14, uh, starting verse 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, here's how a lot of people read this passage of Scripture. And whatsoever you shall ask, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask, I will do it. That's the way a lot of people read that passage of Scripture. But to leave out the important part. He says, in my name. It has to be asked in the name of Jesus. And in my name is just another word, uh, another way to say by my authority. In other words, according to my will. And so that's why we see Jesus praying in the garden and he prays, uh, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so our prayer, in order to be acceptable, begins with a meek and contrite heart uh, that is made that way by a close fellowship with the Father. You know, I, I know what the needs of my wife are. You know why I know those things? Well, sometimes she tells me. But sometimes she expects me just to know. Uh, here a while back, she said, Now don't do the laundry. I'll do the laundry in the morning. I'm going to bed. And you just go ahead and don't worry about the laundry. And I'll do the laundry in the, mor- in, in the morning. And so she gets up in the morning and she says, you didn't do the laundry last night. And I said, well, you told me not to do the laundry last night. And she said, yeah, but I thought you would anyways. <laughs> so my behavior was unacceptable, even though I was doing my best to be acceptable. Uh, but the point is that our relationship is such that, that I know most of the time <laughs> what she wants. And she knows most of the time what I want. And when we have that close relationship with our Heavenly Father, then He knows what we want. We don't even have to ask Him. We're supposed to ask Him, but He knows. He knows what we have need of before we ask. And that's what uh, acceptable prayer is all about. So in Matthew chapter five, uh, 6, starting at verse 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that, by, that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like, like unto them, 
For your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. So it's a wonderful thing to have that intimate, close fellowship with God, so much so uh, that he knows uh, exactly what we need. Now, not only is there an acceptable doctrine and an acceptable prayer, uh, there's also an acceptable way of life. Uh, There are those who will say, it's my life, I'll live the way I want to live it. There are those who will say, it's my body and I will do whatever I want to with my body. Uh, And so both statements then are are foreign to what the scriptures actually teach. Uh, The idea uh, that uh, that it's my life and I can live it is is so foreign to the scripture that uh, it, it cannot even come close to being acceptable. And Paul talks about our life and describes it in a similar way. Uh, with exercise. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and starting at verse 7, but refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself unto godliness. For bodily exercise is, uh, profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of life that now is and of, li- and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Well, what are you talking about, Paul? I'm talking about the way you live. If you live a godly life, then your life will be acceptable in the sight of God. But if you live an ungodly life, your life is going to be unacceptable in the sight of God. And so he warns us and tells us that there's a way that we are supposed to live. And that way is acceptable to God. Peter also brings up the point. When he says in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 uh, and following, Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So how is it that we live a life that is acceptable to God? And the answer is fearing him. Now, when we say fear him, Make sure you understand we're not talking about cowering and shaking and being worried about he's, he's going to strike me down with a bolt of lightning if I don't do the right thing. That's the old way of paganism and, and the, the gods of uh, ancient a- a- Athens and the gods of Rome. That, that's not the God we serve. The word fear means to hold with high regard, to be in awe of to be overwhelmed by the fact that he loves you enough to do what is necessary to get you to have that fellowship with him. So fear God and work righteousness. That's the godly life. That's the acceptable life, the life of righteousness. And, um, of course, righteousness just simply means doing what's right. How do we know what's right? Well, we search the scriptures. We study to show ourselves approved unto God, acceptable in his sight. Ephesians chapter 5, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named once among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are, uh, are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man uh, who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. 
Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So Paul's pretty specific here in his description of how we are to behave ourselves if we're going to live acceptable lives. And so he goes on and says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. We don't have to guess. We don't have to, you know, pull straws and try to figure out which one's right and which one's wrong. We can prove what is right based upon the scriptures and know that we are living in such a way that's pleasing in his sight. That is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We're supposed to shine as lights in the world by the life that we live. We are supposed to let the world know that we are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus as we live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world. There is an acceptable way of life, and we can know exactly what it is as opposed to what it's not. There's no guesswork involved. Not only is there an acceptable doctrine and an acceptable prayer, and an acceptable um, way of life. Uh, but there's also an acceptable service. Far too many people approach their religion with the idea of, well, what's in it for me? Well, there's a lot in it for you, yes. I mean, Jesus himself said, I'll go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll come and receive you again unto me. That Where I am there, you may be also. I go and you know, prepare a mansion for you. He's, he's promised that there's going to be blessing for serving him uh, acceptably. Uh, but the attitude that says, if I do this for God, what do I get out of it, uh, is, is not an acceptable approach to service. When what we should uh, ask is, is my service acceptable to God? In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We can worship, we can praise, we can serve in ways that are acceptable to God. But just as we can do those things in acceptable ways, they can also be done in unacceptable ways. And so it's up to us to examine the scriptures and find out what is acceptable as far as our service is concerned. Our service to God uh, as we offer up spiritual sacrifices to him must be acceptable in his sight. Hebrews 12 and verse 28. Wherefore are we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved? Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Uh, instead of asking what's in it for me if I do, maybe we should ask what's in it for me if I don't. Because our God is a consuming fire. Yes, there will be uh, answering to God for the service that we give, uh, especially if that service uh, is unacceptable. We'll answer to God if we don't give any service at all, if we don't worship him at all. We'll stand before his throne just like everybody in existence that ever has been and ever will be. We'll have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an answer. Was your service acceptable? And we can know. 
We can be completely a- accurate and 100% correct in knowing that our service is pleasing in the sight of God, acceptable to Him. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. Wherefore we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. Now, isn't it interesting that Paul writes to a church, a church that is filled with problems, that he's doing everything he can to help, and he says, I am working, and I am laboring not to be accepted by you, but to be accepted by him. That probably uh, hit a chord with the Corinthians. Uh, As you imagine, if a preacher stood up and said, I don't preach for you. I preach for the Lord. Well, we want him to preach for the Lord because we want him to be God's spokesman, right? But uh, we we like to know we're in there somewhere too. (laughs) It's an important thing. But be acceptable uh, of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every man, uh, everyone may receive the things done in his body according to uh, that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, whether it be acceptable or unacceptable. And so our service. Romans 5, 14, starting verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another. So how is our service going to be acceptable? It has to be acceptable to God, of course, but then there's going to be some approval of men in it too. Why? Because they know what the Lord wants, what the Lord expects of our service. And then he goes on to tell us that our service, the things that we do, are supposed to, number one, make for peace. So someone who's a troublemaker automatically is serving in an unacceptable way. Someone who's always sowing discord, causing trouble, uh, always got to have things his way or it's the highway, serving unacceptably in God's sight. Have to make for peace and, number two, edify one another. Does the service we give build one another That's what it means to edify, is to build up, to encourage, to strengthen, to admonish, to help each of us become more like the Savior that we serve. And if we're going to have acceptable service in the sight of God, it must be that way. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So not not only is there an acceptable doctrine and an acceptable prayer, an acceptable way of life, an acceptable service, but there is also an acceptable grace. There is no worse feeling in the world than to come to the knowledge and understanding and the realization that I am a sinner. And if I remain where I am and continue to live the way I'm living, I will die lost and spend eternity in a devil's hell. 
When we come to a full knowledge and understanding of that, it is heartbreaking. It will tear a person apart when he fully grasps how terrible sin is and what the result of sin is. But God has offered to us an acceptable grace, a grace that has been provided for us through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that that grace has been offered to us. Paul understood the situation he had been in. He was a blasphemer. He was injurious. He was a man who did everything within his ability to destroy the church and do everything he possibly could in opposition to Jesus Christ. But grace was offered to him. And he accepted it. So we have this acceptable grace. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit. For this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him in, uh, to, uh, everlasting, to life everlasting. Paul is setting himself up as an example. You think you're a filthy sinner? Guess what? Look at what I did. And what I did and what you do cannot compare. Now, we know that sin is sin, and sin condemns. Sin causes people to lose their soul. But here he is expressing his heartfelt hurt over what he had done in opposition to the Lord. So much so that he felt as though he was the worst sinner ever. But grace was extended to him. And because he accepted that grace, then he could stand before anyone and say, let me tell you about Jesus and what he's done for us. Ephesians 1 and verse 6, To the praise and the, of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. How is it that we are made acceptable in the sight of God? Through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. And according to the riches of his grace. When we accept that, our sins are done away. They are erased. They are removed as far from us as the east is from the west. And we don't have to worry about them anymore. What wonderful thoughts were made by Brother Jim uh, as he uh, led us in the Lord's Supper this morning. And he told us, stop for a minute and forgive yourself. Before you take the fruit of the vine, before you take the unleavened bread, forgive yourself. Because God has, if you have the blood of Jesus Christ. Our acceptance of grace is what allows us to be acceptable in the sight of God. Paul accepted the grace of God when he rendered obedience to the gospel. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, he was told, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Again, the name of the Lord in my name, the authority of Christ. Call on the authority of Christ as you are immersed into the watery grave of baptism for the remission of your sins. That's how you accept grace. That's how it is applied to your soul. And that's how forgiveness comes to you that same day 
redemption was his because he obeyed the gospel. But that leads us to the next point and the last one we'll make tonight. And that is that there is an acceptable time. How much time do you have? I don't know. Uh, when, when I was talking to uh, Janie Allen and her daughter and his sons, they kept saying, all, all three, all four of them said, it happened so fast. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and it took him away in no time at all. It happened so fast. So how much time do we have? And last time I checked, none of us knew. We don't know how much time we have. Even the doctors don't know. When my dad had, was diagnosed as, uh, with uh, pancreatic cancer, he was given one year to live. And he lived a year and six months. So the doctors missed it by six months. And we were thankful that they did. Uh, even though he died a very painful and horrible death, uh, we were sad about that. But notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in an accepted time. And in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is is the day of salvation. There is an acceptable time. And that time is right now. We have to ask ourselves, have we been following the acceptable doctrine? Have we been praying acceptable prayers? Have we been rendering acceptable service? Have we accepted the acceptable grace? If the answer is not yet, how much time do you have? Today is the accepted time. And if you've never rendered obedience to the gospel of Christ, I pray that today is the day that you will accept the grace of Christ and render obedience to his will. If you've already done that, but you've allowed sin to come back into your life, how much time do you have? You can be restored to your first love tonight. It's an acceptable time. And if you need to respond to the invitation of Christ, we pray that you will as we stand and sing to encourage you.